Forge family, when we were last together, we studied the last verse of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and how it stood in stark contrast to the immediately following charges against the false teachers in the house churches in Ephesus. And that was in the first part of chapter 4. Paul began with the opening up of the mystery of godliness. Six lines of text that probably were set to music so that the churches could lift these, those truths up in song. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. These statements deal with the incarnation of Christ by Holy Spirit, the approval of him by Holy Spirit, his resurrection attested to by holy angels, and ascension to glory observed by the 120 in Acts chapter 1. That placed Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father to ever make intercession over us as he reigns and lays out the mystery that had been hidden until the appearance of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. In contrast, the false teachers were forbidding marriage and certain foods to gain spiritual insight and spiritual power. Those prohibitions were based on doctrines, teachings, and principles of spiritual manipulation by demons. The deceiving spirits had led away some from the gospel of Christ. Paul answers that all, all that God created was proclaimed good and very good. That said, he goes on to write that everything is to be received with gratefulness and set apart to God in prayer and by means of the word of God. The power of Holy Spirit is set against the deceiving one. And Paul urges Timothy to identify the enemy and lift up the scripture in combat and correction. All right, let's pray. Risen, reigning Lord. We turn to you for answers when we're confronted with deceiving spirits. We turn to you for insight into the scripture with which to lift the shield of faith when we discern evil teachings. Holy One, equip us to deploy the word of God to clarify, encourage, and protect us. We know that the weapons of our warfare are not physical but spiritual, and we would use this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the speaking of truth, the soft answer, and wisdom from above to stand this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we begin today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As Paul instructs Timothy how to be an overseer and how to shepherd as a pastor in the midst of confusion, and persecution. Quote, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. Paul is referring back to the previous six verses, urging Timothy to advise, to suggest, to put in remembrance the teaching that the brothers and sisters had already received. Timothy's not to command or to issue orders but rather to gently turn them to solid teaching. Some of you are horse lovers. 
and you know that such a huge animal can be gently brought to a halt and turned around with the bit in the mouth of the horse. Paul is not having anything to do with yanking these believers back into order. William Barclay said, Men may be led when they will refuse to be driven. The word brethren here is adelphos in Greek, and literally it means from the same womb. Now here, Paul is reminding the family of God in the house churches that they have the same heavenly father. Timothy is to minister those reminders, those scriptures to them that will set them firmly on the rock of Christ again. As to Timothy himself, Paul urges him to stay constantly, literally the text says, nourished up in his faith and the good doctrine that he's been following. You cannot give out what you are not taking in. The exhortation is to keep learning every day. Now, verses 7 and 8 start with what to avoid and finish with what to embrace. Quote, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul takes Timothy back to chapter 1, verse 4, in his opening charge to this young pastor. Paul says, refuse, decline, shun, and avoid the myths and fables that were spread abroad through the church community. They were literally profane, empty, unhallowed, worthy to be trodden underfoot, not worth addressing or discussing. He, Paul, reduces them to the level of side issues, embroidery on the truth, street-level gossip between those who tell each other tall stories. <clears throat> uh, or they use threats to, against children to get them to obey. Eat your broccoli or the chupacabra will get you. Now, the contrast that Paul lays out for Timothy has to do with disciplined godliness. Set in the middle of that exhortation is the comment that physical training does have a small value, but pursuit of godliness, that, that word eusebia, you know, that, re that reverence, that respect, that honor towards God lays down value for living now in this life and also has the promise for life in eternity. This discipline to become godly brings the spirit, mind, and body under the control of Holy Spirit. Now, in the Greek world, every town of note had a gymnasium where men would gather to exercise in the nude. Now, yes, they exercised their bodies toward fitness, toward, toward being able to compete in the games and the races and the wrestling and whatever it was, okay? But the atmosphere was a snake pit, not unlike the gay bathhouse scenes of the 70s and 80s in San Francisco. Homosexuality displayed itself and proliferated out of those gymnasia. So Paul is basically saying, you know, uh, the, the classic place where you might go for physical exercise is not a healthy place for your spirit. Paul adds an affirmation of his previous statement in verse 8 with the word for that begins in verse 10. So it quote, it says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 
prescribe and teach these things. Now, the pursuit of godliness requires passion, pursuit, and toil. The word labor here is the picture of labor to exhaustion. You know, where the coach says to the team, leave it all on the field. And the word strive images the athlete who is in a race and looks ahead and can see the finish line and, and dumps every last bit of energy into his sprint to the finish and to victory. All of those terms are in the present tense for continuous output of energy and practice. As we walk with God, we work, we toil, we labor, but we are not in distress. The phrase, we have fixed our hope, is in the perfect tense. Past completed action with present continuous results. So it reads like this. Or it hears like this, okay? We receive it. It says, we have fixed and we are fixing our hope on the living God. Philippians 2.13 says, and it is God himself who energizes us as we with our passion, our pursuit, our toil, and our fixing ourselves on that hope. So if he is the one who energizes us, lean in on him. Next, Paul uses the word savior. In the ancient world, kings, princes, generals, and statesmen who accomplished victories or exhibited signal leadership were accorded the term savior. Paul identifies this Savior in the text as the living God who has made a way for all mankind to have the reason and ability to choose Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Some do, some don't. For it is a matter of personal choice that leads to salvation in Christ or departure into darkness. This wording here does not hint at universalism, but rather to a ransom paid for the potential freedom for all, if they so choose to receive it and bow before the Redeemer. For those who believe, salvation is a far deeper and more profound life-changing choice. Paul finishes verse 11 with a statement in the present tense. Prescribe and teach these things. <clears throat> verse 12 is a strong word to the young Timothy. Young in the sense that he was pastoring a group of house churches led by older overseers, elders, and presbyters. He, he probably was in his early 30s, but the other leaders in the churches were older men. So what Paul says is, quote, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. The word, to begin that, is, uh, was let, and it is a soft imperative. As Paul is urging Timothy toward being a mature model for the churches. The word look down on is kataphraneo, and it speaks of contempt, which may issue in injurious words or actions. Paul's antidote to any potential toxic comments or attitudes from older leaders is to urge Timothy to display love, faith, and purity in his speech and conduct before the watching churches. Another way to say that might be, don't slip up on your footing on faith, 
love and purity, and your example will silence your critics. Another way to, to state Paul's soft command. Let your display of godliness and character address those who despise you, who criticize you, for it will silence them. The word example is one from which we get our word template. It is a pattern that can be replicated flawlessly over and over and over again. Timothy, you be that template. Verse 13 looks back to Paul's desire to come be with Timothy in Ephesus. And my text says, until I come. It also could be translated, while I'm coming. Okay? Now, we know that didn't happen. He was, he was um, taken into custody, transported, and imprisoned in Rome. Okay? But he writes, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Unquote. Now, very few of the believers in Ephesus probably were literate. And even fewer would have had personal copies of the Old Testament scrolls or any of the rapidly growing collection of letters from apostles and teachers. Instead, the leaders of the house churches would have circulated those precious copies to be read aloud to those who were attending. Here's the first of three elements of the ministry of the Word of God in churches. It is to be read aloud. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those believers coming into the church gatherings would have been confronted or encouraged hmm, by the reading of the scripture which laid them bare in their soul and spirit as their private attitude and actions were highlighted to them in the reading by Holy Spirit. Another way Paul might have instructed Timothy is to let the word of God loose in the churches. Second is the word exhortation. Timothy was to pay attention to the moral impact the gospel was to have on individuals, on leaders, on the church, and on the community as a whole. Once the word of God is read and understood you know, by Holy Spirit, okay, it needs to be refreshed to us to remind us that we must walk it out. That word, exhortation, tugs us out of mental agreement into moral choices. Third in this verse, Timothy is to continue teaching. This will pour the word of God into the hearts and minds of those who listen. Their spirit and intellect must then chew and digest and remember and practice what is taught from Scripture. Nobody gets it all on first exposure to the word of God. What is food for new babes in Christ is to be surpassed, perhaps out of the same passages, in depth of understanding and outward expression for the mature. The last three verses of chapter 4 turn more personal for Timothy. Quote, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, 
you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So Timothy had an experience of confirmation of his spiritual gifting that had become visible to and approved of by a gathering of elders in the faith. Their laying hands on him was confirmation that Holy Spirit had indeed gifted him. Unlike the response of elders in Antioch in Acts 13, where they heard from Holy Spirit and they quickly laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out to be missionaries, elders had recognized Holy Spirit at work in Timothy and affirmed it. It is likely that the affirmed gifting was that of pastor-teacher or teacher and pastor. Okay, Paul is correcting Timothy here. Literally, he says, do not keep on neglecting the spiritual gift that is in you. Now, Timothy had been rattled by criticism and complaint and stepped back from intensely delivering the word of God to the churches and their leaders. This, to him, was a word of step up, son, get back on the horse. I personally have been bucked off into the ditch by the criticism and rejection of other leaders. That hurts. That's hard. So my heart goes out to Timothy. I mean, I know what that feels like, and likewise. You know, the Word of God understands our circumstances. It's hard. Now, Paul continues to urge Timothy to concentrate on being a maturing model of godliness so that his progress in the faith might be seen by all. The choice of wording here by Paul is to use the word prokopto, which means to cut before, which is a word picture. It speaks of an, an army corps of the Roman legions, you know, probably under the engineers, that sent an army of woodcutters and stonemasons uh, and people who brought teams of oxen to pull stumps. They, they, would, they would cut into the wilderness through forests and swamps ahead of the marching Roman legions, and it would be a pioneering advance. Timothy was going where no pastor in Ephesus had ever gone before, and he was to lead the churches with him. Paul says to fasten attention to you on yourself, Timothy. Stay with it. Stick to it. Hang in there. In so doing, he will experience salvation, both for himself and for those who he is to bring along. Now, pause right there. What is this salvation mentioned here? Now, remember that there are three verb tenses for salvation in Christ. Saved is, is pictured by the word justification, which is, you know, in its own little uh, ditty form. It's just as if I had never sinned. And Timothy and the people in the house churches in Ephesus had that experience of coming to, to Christ and kneeling before him and saying, I want you as Lord and Savior. I confess my sins. I lay down my life. You will be my master. And all their sins from the past, present, and future are taken away. They become saved. That's past tense. Now, the present tense salvation is found in the word sanctification. And it means being set apart to God and experiencing the breaking of the power of sin in your life right now with resulting grace and peace, and hope, and joy. The future tense of salvation is glorification, 
which is when we will be in the presence of God himself, then there's no sin there. Sin has become entirely removed. Now here, Timothy and the churches had experienced justification in their initial salvation. What Paul is imprinting into Timothy is for him and his charges was to grip faith in such a manner and practice so as to result in sanctification. The power of breaking the power of sin or their life in the present tense in a more complete way. Ford family, Paul would say to us, stay nourished up on the word of God. So Ford family, I know that listening to me for 20 to 30 minutes a week is not staying nourished up. Okay, that may give you something to ponder and meditate on and, and move around in the scriptures and take to heart, you know, but on a daily basis, put your heart Put your spirit into the word of God. Stay nourished up. Let him lead you. Second, grip your faith and practice so that those who would criticize you are left with nothing with which to reproach your life. Live in such a manner that nobody can get stuff to stick to you. Keep your mind free from entertaining spiritual stories that do not match the scripture. And the most recent one I've heard, and honestly, they happen all the time, but the most recent one I've heard is, it's been broadcast over Spanish language television, exclusively, nobody else has heard anything about this, okay? That over the Spanish language television broadcasts, there's a, there is a report of a Messiah in Israel that is rising to do works of power as Messiah with a Greek father and a Palestinian mother. That's a story, okay? And it doesn't match the scriptures. <clears throat> so, we are to keep practicing godliness, the honoring of God, the worship of God, the welcoming of his presence. We're to keep going forward even when it's hard. And we're to get back on the horse when we get pitched off. Lastly, we are to make a pioneering advance in our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our job, our state, and our nation for Christ Jesus by Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, who brings us to maturity, we want to leave childish things behind and follow hard after you. Stir up in us how you have used us to love others, illuminating the spiritual gifts Holy Spirit has given to be used for kingdom growth and outreach. Give us divine appointments with family, friends, the lost, and hurting believers so that we become your hands and feet. Lord, we want to grip our faith and practice in a manner that blesses your name. And like Timothy... We want to learn how to get back on the horse. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll be together soon. God bless.